This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second reading of scripture is taken from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to many, to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May the Lord bless this reading of his word. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, we again are grateful that you have brought us here today, and we ask that you would help us to lay aside all the many distractions we bring with us so that we might hear what you have to say to us, both as individuals and as a church body. And so we give our, our, our attention to you, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by saying how pleased Scott and I are to be officially starting as your interim co-pastors during this year of transition from Pastor Sarah to a new installed pastor. None of us had any idea a few months ago that we would be in this time of transition or in these interim roles, but here we are. Pastor Sarah did such a great job pastoring and nurturing this congregation. And while we know we will never be able to replace her, we do hope that we will be able to continue the legacy she has begun, what she has accomplished, and be able to not only take that legacy, but also to build upon it. Scott and I both believe Old South is a wonderful community of believers. We know the church has accomplished much 
under Sarah's ministry and has so much more to accomplish for Jesus and his kingdom here in Newburyport and on the North Shore and wherever we might be. And we look forward, Scott and I look forward to being partners with you together in this ministry in the days and weeks and months to come. So again, thank you for being here. Thank you for your warm welcome of us. This morning we are beginning a new sermon series from the New Testament book of Acts, a series we are calling, What is This Thing Called the Church? Over the next several weeks, we will be concentrating on the first five chapters of Acts. We're probably not going to get much further than that, at least the first five chapters of Acts. And in this series of messages, we will be looking at the purpose of the church as described for us in the book of Acts and to seek to understand how we can become the church described there and the church Jesus is calling us to be during this time of change and transition at Old South. Acts is a perfect book for us to look at for second to look at for several reasons. First of all, it is the only account we have in the New Testament of the history of the early church. Acts is believed to have been written by Luke, who also wrote the gospel that bears his name, and who was a companion of the Apostle Paul. Acts, the book of Acts, covers a period of about 35 years, roughly 30 A.D. to approximately 65 A.D., give or take a few years. And if we didn't have the book of Acts, we would know very little about what happened in those critical, formative, early years of the church following the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Secondly, we are focusing on the book of Acts because it gives us helpful insights into some of the challenges of being the church and what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. Now, it's important for us to remember that the early church was not perfect. Sometimes we think of the early, early church as being this perfect church, never had any problems, but that's not, that's not what we're given in the book of Acts. They were people like us who had challenges and difficulties and struggles along the way just as we do. And we'll note some of those struggles as we go through these first few chapters. But when you read through the book of Acts, Luke makes it clear that even in the midst of their many challenges, there was an attractiveness to the church, a dynamic about it, a contagious enthusiasm for sharing the gospel with others that often seems to be missing in much of our experience of the church today in North America. And this is one of the reasons, I think, there are many reasons, but this is one of the reasons, I think, why so many congregations in 2021 are declining, especially congregations related to mainline denominations, and we're all, I'm sure, familiar with that. Third, we are focusing on the book of Acts because it gives us a graphic description of the mission of the early church and especially that priority of passing on the faith to others. So we are going to see that a major theme of Acts is mission. So we want to think about 
what it means for us to be in mission, what it means for us to be missional. What does that mean for us, especially um, as we look, in, look to uh, be the church Christ calls us to be during this time of transition? I'm sure some of you have probably watched some of the Olympics when it was on this summer. Debbie and I managed to catch a little bit of it, not as much as we were hoping to. Um, but one of the most interesting parts of the Olympics, I think, the Olympic Games, is the runners carrying that Olympic torch from Athens, Greece, where the original games took place, to wherever the games are being played. And as you know, runner after runner relays that single torch through fields and farmlands and hills and valleys and busy city streets, wherever they're going from, on his or her way to that stadium where the games will take place. And as that final torchbearer all alone enters that dark tunnel, that dark passageway into the stadium, the Olympic Stadium, and ascends the stairs, reaches the top, and he or she he or she turns triumphantly and lights that Olympic flame, the symbol of the Olympic spirit. You know, it's one of the kind of exciting things about the Olympics uh, to always watch. But the only reason why that torch is able to be lit in that way is because each runner along the way, along those many miles, has faithfully relayed that torch passed on that torch, that flame, to the next person. And it seems to me, I mention this because it seems to me that the book of Acts traces a similar relay, a similar kind of passing on the torch of faith to others. And you and I are part of that passing on process, part of that mission of passing on the torch of faith to one generation to the next. So these are just a few reasons. There's many more, but these are just a few reasons why we believe it is important to look at and study and think about and have a conversation about Acts so that we may, too, catch some of that early church's commitment to and enthusiasm for Jesus and the gospel in our time. So I say that by way of introduction. Now, there is much that we could say about these first 11 verses that I just read a few moments ago in chapter 1 about Jesus appearing to his disciples for 40 days after his resurrection. We could talk some about the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It shows up in these verses. We could talk something about what he taught them during that 40-day period. Before his ascension, we could focus on the ascension of Jesus. What does the ascension mean? What does that look like? And if we had time this morning, I'd love to talk about all these subjects, but we don't have time for that. But in the time we do have remaining, I want us to focus on one verse out of these 11 verses, and that is verse 8. If you have the scripture open in front of you, you can turn to, turn to that. So that's, the, that's the verse, the one verse I want us to look at this morning. And I, I want to look at it because I think verse 8, maybe more than any other verse, not only summarizes those first 11 chapters, but I think summarizes for us the entire book of Acts, what book, the book of Acts is really all about. And so we want to start with that. Now, in this one verse, verse 8, 
Jesus highlights two important things that he wanted his disciples to know and to remember, and I think that he wants us to know and to remember. As we seek to be the faithful church, he is calling us to be here in Newburyport and beyond. So let's look at that now. First of all, Jesus says that in order to be the effective mission-focused church he calls us to be, we need to be empowered by the Spirit. Look again at the first part of verse 8. Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, this word that is translated power in our English Bibles comes from the Greek word dynamis, which is the root from which we get our English word what? What do you think? Dynamite. Yes, thank you. You win the prize. Alfred Nobel, in which the Nobel Peace Prize is named after, is considered to be the inventor of dynamite. And as you may know, Nobel was an engineer who built bridges and buildings in his, in his native Stockholm, Sweden. And because of his construction work, Nobel was interested in developing new and better methods for blasting rock. Nitroglycerin was good, but by itself it was highly volatile. So in 1866, Nobel discovered that if he mixed nitroglycerin with a substance called silica, which was a hard, glassy mineral, it would turn this volatile liquid into a malleable paste called dynamite. And all he had to do to detonate the dynamite's blasting cap, which incidentally he also invented, was simply, was simply to ignite a fuse. And bang, that was it. Tremendous power, just like that. Jesus says that the way his disciples and we receive true power, true spiritual dynamite, if you will, is by being empowered by, being ignited by the Holy Spirit. Now, this book of Acts is often referred to as the Acts of the Spirit, or the Acts of the Apostles, but it could just as easily be titled, I think, the Acts of the Spirit. Because when you read through Acts, it quickly becomes apparent that the Holy Spirit plays a critical role in the ability of the early church to grow and spread throughout the ancient world. When I was much younger I, in my Bible, I went through, I don't know why I did this, but I went through and underlined in red every mention of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And there was red all over the place. You know, it, it, it's how often the Spirit is mentioned. In the passage uh, that we just read, Luke directly or indirectly mentions the Holy Spirit four times. First of all in verse 2, then sort of indirectly in verse 4, then in verse 5, and in this verse, we're worth looking at verse 8. And what Luke suggests to us here, I think, is that the only way the early church was going to be effective for Jesus was by being detonated by the Spirit. The only way the church was going to be able to do anything of real missional consequence in the world was by being powered by the Spirit. Speaking of power, one of our cars, our Volvo, 
sat this past year in our garage when we were in Idaho during the first part of the pandemic. And then why we were here in Massachusetts, we didn't drive it for many months. And what happens to a car when you don't drive it for many months and you don't unplug the battery? It goes dead. Uh, we had we, when we decided to start it, we noticed that not only had it been visited by mice in the garage, a story I won't go into now, but we could not get it started. And the car was in the garage, and that morning, some guys were coming to replace the garage door, so they called us, emailed us, I think they texted us at like 5.30 in the morning, saying, we're here, we're coming, but we can't do our work because your car is sitting there in the middle of the garage, and you need to get it out. No problem, except we knew that the car was dead because we'd already uh, tried to get it out and didn't, left it there for some reason. I don't know why. Um, so we ran up and we pushed the car out of the garage, which took some effort, actually, to do that. Now, we realized um, that um, it was dead and that it would not get a charge. So we would need to replace the battery, and we did. But, I mean, this is a no-brainer, right? But it was a reminder that a car is difficult to move without a power source. Likewise, Jesus says that the only way we can really move for him is that we have a power source, not from a battery, but from the Holy Spirit living and working in and through us. Second thing Jesus says in verse 8 naturally flows out of the first thing he says, and that is simply this. We are empowered by the Spirit for a specific purpose, a specific reason, and that is that we might be a faithful witness for him. Look again at verse 8, at the second part of it. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's where they were at the time in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Judea is, uh, Jerusalem is in Judea, but it's a further out, Samaria is a little bit further, and to the very ends of the earth, uh, Jesus is saying, you will be my witnesses. In his book, Why Church, I've got the book here, and I'm going to recommend this book if you want to read an interesting book about the church. Uh, we're kind of basing, we're not following this in any way, but this is sort of a, a text we're using, uh, the uh, book called Why Church by Scott Sunquist. He's the president of Gordon-Conwell Seminary. Interesting, good book. He says in this book that he believes that the two primary purposes of the church are worship and witness, the ultimate goal of which is to make disciples. Sunquest suggests that being a witness involves both telling the good news through our words and being the good news, good news through our actions. So what does it mean to be a witness? Well, there are many definitions of what it means to be a witness. But at its core, a witness is simply a person who shares with others what he or she has heard or seen or experienced. And as you know, being a witness to something sometimes can have a very significant life-changing uh, consequence. Those of you who are older will remember the tragedy that happened at Jan uh, Jonestown, Guyana on November 18, 1978. On that day, 913 followers 
of the Reverend Jim Jones, the charismatic leader of the People's Temple, an interracial congregation that abruptly moved from San Francisco to the jungles of Guyana. They committed mass murder and suicide by drinking cyanide poison punch. I'm sure most of you remember that or read about it. Among the dead were 270 children. And it's not exactly clear, even to this day, why that tragedy happened. But it had a profound effect on those who were there, those who witnessed it. When Time Magazine reporter Donald Neff and photographer David Kennerly arrived in Jonestown, they were the first journalists on the scene after that terrible tragedy. And they witnessed a sight that was truly life-changing for them. Neff was quoted as saying this. He said, the horrors of that camp nearly defy description. Kennerly and I helped report the Vietnam War, but we'd never seen anything like this. He finished by saying this. He said, I'll never be the same for having witnessed it. I'll never be the same for having witnessed it. Neff and Kennerly were so moved by what they saw and what they photographed in that camp that they committed themselves to telling the rest of the world to being a witness for others of what happened so hopefully it would never happen again. Sharon Johnson, writing in Monday Morning Magazine, says this. She says, when Jesus told his followers to be his witnesses, he had something similar in mind for them to simply tell others what they had seen, heard, and experienced in relation to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 8 that because they have been with him and have, been, have seen and experienced his life and teaching, they must now go and simply tell others by their words and by their actions. And I want to suggest to you this morning that this same command, this same commission that Jesus gave his early disciples to be a witness for him is also given to us, to you and to me. We too, as his modern-day disciples, are empowered for a purpose, powered by the Spirit for a purpose that we might testify and witness to and live out what we have experienced of Jesus to others. Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson, the comedian. Remember Flip Wilson? He used to be on Laugh-In all the time. Those of you who watch Laugh-In, I never watched it. Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, but I know that dates me. Wilson used to have a comedy routine on the show where someone would ask him about his religion. You may remember this. And he would always reply, I'm a Jehovah's bystander. Jehovah's bystander, the person would ask. I've never heard of a Jehovah's bystander. And Wilson would get an embarrassed look on his face, and he would always say, well, they wanted me to be a Jehovah's witness, but I didn't want to get involved. So I became a Jehovah's bystander. How about you? Are you seeking to be, with the Spirit's help, an effective witness for Jesus in the things you say and do? Are you simply telling others about your faith by your word and your actions of what you've experienced of Jesus? 
Or are you, like Flip Wilson's character, a spiritual bystander, letting someone else do it? Notice Jesus does not say, you might be my witnesses in this passage. What does he say? He says, you will be. And the question we need to ask ourselves, I think, is what kind of witness are we? What kind of witness am I? Now, honestly, I don't know about you, but this is a question I personally wrestle with all the time. What kind of witness am I of God's love, God's faithfulness, God's holiness, God's goodness? How faithfully do I share my faith with others? How consistently do I demonstrate my faith in Jesus, not only through my words, but through my actions? And frankly, I hate to admit it, but sometimes I don't think I'm a very good witness. I don't. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. The question is, what kind of witness will we be? You might be wrestling with this as well. Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells you and me, that the Holy Spirit empowers us for a purpose. And that purpose is that we might be a witness for him through our words and our lives, not only here in the North Shore, Newburyport, but in our homes, and on our jobs, in our communities, wherever we might be around the world. And may God help us as individuals and as a church body to find practical ways that we might do this individually and together in the coming months. Let's bow for a brief prayer. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for your word, which gives us meaning and direction for our lives. And we, we know that we cannot always live the way you want us to live. And so that's why we need your help. We need your spirit guiding us. And so we pray today as we begin this new journey together as a people of faith here at Old South that you would guide all of us, each one of us, individually and as a body to be the church you call us to be, to be the light you call us to be here and wherever we are. And so we give you thanks. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.